you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles 16, as you turn there, um, I'm in the YouVersion Bible app. If you have that, I'm in the CSB. It's in your outline as well. It will be on the screen. Um, I do want to make mention, we uh, sent out a video this week um, with a staff transition um, looking towards 2023. Um, if you are a part of New Passion, as far as what we consider an owner or a member, um, you've attended Exploring New Passion, signed the Owner's Covenant and all that. Um, we are going to have kind of a small family meeting. If nobody shows up, there won't be a meeting. Just basically a, a, an opportunity for you to have, ask any questions if you have any questions. And so it's not like a formal type meeting. It's just for those who belong to New Passion, if you have any questions about that video, um, you can come and uh, the elders and Steve will be here um, and we can answer those questions. So I um, want to make sure, I wasn't sure if Phil um, said that. I missed the first part of his opening. And so just wanted to remind you of that. Um, as we announced this week through that video. So 1 Chronicles chapter 16 will be there in just a moment. Um, but as we begin this new series, This Is Us, um, we're going to be exploring, as I've been sharing with you, some of the different aspects of who we are as a church, or really the local church, but also um, what the purposes are behind what we do as a corporate gathering of believers, but also as individual followers of Jesus. See, my desire for you is that you will come to the realization that there is no separation, there is no difference between what we do as individual followers of Jesus and what we do when we come together as a gathered body of believers. Like There, there is no separation, there is no division. What, what we do here at church or what we do in our personal lives should really be an overflow um, into this corporate gathering. Um, we don't just gather together, go through some religious acts and practices, and then abandon those religious practices and those religious acts when we walk out the doors and when we go to um, our jobs and when we go home and when we go into the community or we go to school. We, we don't take, it's not like we get home and we take our coat off, we take our purse off and then it's an accessory. Christianity is not an accessory. Worship is not an accessory. It's not something we just wear like a watch and then we take off. It, it is who we are. It's, it's what we do. It is like our skin. You don't take it off. It, it is a part of you. And so we, we, I, I want you to come to that realization, whether you're at New Passion or God moves you to another place, that your, your, your faith practice is not temporary. It's, it's not something you just do in a gathered body of believers. Um, and, and sadly, we see that all too often. But our mission as a church, and this will be on the screen, it might be in your outline, I believe, as well, also is this, to be a community of believers dedicated to the glory of God by extending radical grace for the broken, growing in spiritual maturity, and leading people to become passionate followers of Jesus through the gospel. Now, oftentimes we shorten that and we say we exist to lead people to become passionate followers of Jesus because we believe if you're passionately following Jesus, you're growing in spiritual maturity. You're leading other people to become passionate followers of Jesus. You're dedicated to the glory of God. You're um, extending radical grace to the broken. That's all encompassing of us passionately following Jesus. But, but that's our big statement. And so today I want us to focus in on one part of that, but I want you to write this down. New Passion is committed to be a faith family with common unity. 
When I see community, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. It's a gathering of people that have a common unity. And so New Passion is committed to be a faith family with common unity. See, God adopted us as children, sons and daughters. He has made us a part of one family. In fact, in Scripture, it says we're no longer um, different nationalities. We're no longer different, even recognized by genders. We're, um, no, it's no longer just male and female and the divisions that were there. We're still male and female, but, but there was no division as far as the hierarchy. There was no division based on Jew or Gentile. It, we're now one nationality. We're now one people. We're one family. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. And so he has called us into this family. He saved us into this family. And so that's what the gathered body is supposed to be, a family. The church is not supposed to just be this um, gathering or this group of disconnected strangers. Like, I recognize that person. I don't know their name. And I've gotten some of your names wrong. It's hard sometimes with this group, uh, you know, a larger group of people. And then I do chaplain work out of here and hundreds of employees. And so sometimes I get names wrong or I forget names, but but we try. But but, but the, the church was never intended for it to just be like, you know, I see those people, but I don't know those people. I recognize that person, but I've never gotten to know that person. I don't even know them by name. We're, we're a faith family. Like, you know your mom, you know your aunt, you know your, you, you know your family members. We're, we weren't saved and brought into a family, so we're disconnected family members. We're d- distant family members from one another in the same room. And, and so we're called to be a family, a family that has common unity. And so we as a church, I as a pastor, will unashamedly call you, and I believe our elders would call you, our staff would call you, our leaders would call you, every believer, to move beyond just being a Sunday attender to being and having a deeper commitment to the family of God that he saved you into. So so the church is not just coming on Sunday and sitting in a seat, singing a few songs, and then leaving, once again, taking it off like an accessory. It, It is a family And so we unashamedly at New Passion will call you beyond the seat, call you beyond being a spectator to being a participator, call you beyond just being familiar with someone's face and actually getting to know their name and who they are and and about them and about their family and, and, and doing life together as a family because that's what we were saved to do. This is our responsibility as followers of Jesus. This is our responsibility as family members. And so the the opening of our mission statement, and and I'm I'm not going to promise that through this series, we're going to break the whole mission statement down. Um, But but today we're going to begin with this one opening line. And it's simply this, to be a community of believers dedicated to the glory of God. So, So you can say that we are a faith family We're a community of believers. We we are a church. We're a gathering of people who are committed to, who are focused on. Our mission is to be a community of believers dedicated to the glory of God. You can write this down. New Passion will be unified by our dedication to God's glory. When we talk about us being a faith family with common unity, that common unity, the thing that will unite us, the, the thing that we will not let divide us is that we are dedicated, we are committed to doing what we do for the glory of God. That, that everything we do, we never intentionally 
do anything that would rob God of his glory. We don't want the attention on us. We don't want the spotlight on us. Now, we are human, and we can shift, and we can drift into that, but that's why we have accountability. That, that's why we make it known. This, this is who we are. This is who we're going to be, what we're going to be about, so that even the congregation can go, hey, I think we're drifting in this area. The elders can go, hey, I think we need to refocus in this area, so that we, I, as a pastor, can call the congregation to say, hey, I think we're slipping in this area. We need to refocus on the glory of God. We need to refocus our commitment. We need to refocus our dedication to doing all that we do for the glory of God. Look at 1 Chronicles 16, 7 through 11. The scripture tells us, On that day David decreed for the first time that thanks be given to the Lord by Asaph and his relatives. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, proclaim his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell about all his wondrous works, boast in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. So what's happening here is the ark of the Lord has been brought into Jerusalem and uh, David has built this tent for it and it's brought into this tent. And when it's brought into the tent, David appointed certain Levites to minister at the ark of the Lord. And in this, verse four tells us that as they're ministering before the ark, that this was their responsibility to celebrate the Lord God of Israel and to give thanks and praise to him. So, so in verses seven to 11, what you're gonna see is this psalm of thanksgiving that uh, David is giving and that he's calling Asaph and his family to and that he's calling these Levites to. And what it serves for us is a picture of what it looks like to glorify God. Because you can take th this passage and you can go into the Psalms, you can go into the New Testament, and you can see these same instructions that David gave in this moment given to followers of Jesus, given to the people in the days of the Psalms, and it's repeated over and over and over again, sometimes word for word, and sometimes in theory and in thought, but we see these same practices over and over and over again. So we can look at this and go, though David was working with the family of Asaph, and though this is a call to the Levites, it is something we can learn from when we talk about as a church being dedicated to the glory of God. So the first part of verse eight simply says this, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. You can write this down. We glorify God by expressing gratitude to him. We, express, we, we, we glorify God by expressing gratitude to him. Last week I told you that we cannot um, be grateful um, uh, and, and, and grumble at the same time. A, a grateful spirit can't coexist with a grumbling spirit. If you're grumbling about what's not going on in your life, and how it's not turning out the way that you want it to, that you planned for it to turn out, the way that you thought things were going to happen, you can't at the same time express gratitude for what God is doing in the moment or what he plans to do in the future. If you're so focused on it not being your way, if you're so focused on complaining and grumbling, you also in the same breath cannot be grateful. It's impossible. Either that or you're a fraud. Because even James says that we can't, um, out of the same brook, you don't get bitter water and fresh water. Uh, in the same way, your tongue can't curse um, someone and also bless them and be a blessing. Those things don't coexist. You can't both be grateful 
and grumble at the same time. And so you might say, well, how can you, you know, uh, Nick or anyone, how can you be grateful for what God plans to do when you don't exactly know what he's going to do? Because we don't know what God's going to do. There's been times that we make our plans and we realize God directs our steps in a different way than we had planned. And so how can we be grateful for what God plans to do when we don't even know what he plans to do? We don't always know the mind of God by faith. We, we trust that what God's going to do is going to be for his glory. And so therefore, we have to have a heart and a spirit that yields ourselves to his glory because we're dedicated to his glory. I'm not dedicated to Nick's glory. I'm not dedicated to New Passion's glory. You can't be dedicated to your glory above God's glory. And, and so if I'm committed to God's glory, I'm dedicated to him being glorified him being made famous, him being elevated and honored and, and, and praised, then I yield myself to say, God is sovereign, he is in control, and whatever he accomplishes in the future, though I don't know what it is, and what he leads me to, though I don't know what it is, he will be glorified. And if I trust scripture to be true and to be um, God's breathed out word, he tells me that in the end, it's still going to benefit me. In the end, though God's going to be glorified, it's going to benefit me in one way or another. Now, it may not turn out the way that I want it to turn out. It might not lead to the things that I thought it would lead to. But in the end, it is going to shape me to be more like Jesus, which is the ultimate goal. See, because the reality is one day we're going to be spending an eternity in heaven. We are going to be praising God for 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 eternity, and all that matters is where we're at in that moment and how he has perfected us in that moment, not now. We're living for an eternity, not for the temporal earth. So what God's trying to do here is not only prepare us to be more like Jesus when we get to eternity and when we get to heaven, but he also wants us to be vessels that help other people get there as well. So we don't live just for this earth. We don't just live for things to turn out the way we want them to turn out in our home, in our kingdom, in our jobs, and, and everything that we have influence with. It's about the glory of God. And so I can, by faith, thank God that this didn't turn out the way that I wanted. This failed in my eyes, but I praise you, God, and I thank you, God, that you're still working. And when you're done, I'll be able to see it and, I'm, and it's going to be for my benefit, but you're going to be glorified. This church is a testament to that. I've said, I said from the very beginning for, for some of the speed bumps and road bumps and potholes that we hit and that we experienced trying to start this church. And we ended up with only 37 people. I wanted, I asked many more people to come join me for that. And y'all are, you know, uh, they might laugh at y'all because you're here and they didn't want to, you know, they, you know, they were like, no, man, I ain't, I'm, I'm not starting a church with you. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but, but it was, it was difficult. And, and we said from the very beginning that God was going to build this church in such a way that only he could get the glory, that only he could get the glory because he, and, and he has done that over and over and over again. And I've been able to tell other church planters and other pastors that, that are facing difficulties I heard from a pastor this week that's up in the Boston area, one of the hardest, most unreached places in the United States, spiritually dry, spiritually dead, and, and, and the cost of living is astronomical. You're talking about like a two-bedroom, three-bedroom, small house, something that may be like $150,000 here, $600,000 up there. 
trying to plant a church. And so hearing from a pastor who's early into their church, basically losing their home because the person they were renting from wanting to, um, you know, sell it and, and make more money than what they're making out of rent. And, and, and so they're in this predicament. And all I could tell him was, look, you know, all I know is I've seen God provide in unexpected ways, sometimes in the last minute, <laughs> but he's always provided and he's always taken care and he's always fulfilled his work. And so we're on the other side where we can now look back in hindsight and say, I didn't understand what God was doing here. I don't know why he didn't provide here. I, I, I don't know why he had me doing this here, but I can look back and go, okay, now it makes sense. Okay, now that makes sense. Okay, now that makes sense. Okay, now I can see it. And I can not only glorify God and thank him for what he's going to do, I can do that a lot easier when I can look back and see what he's done in my past. But now I can look back in the past and say, thank you, God, that you're faithful. And it's by that faith that I now have a stronger faith to look into the future and go, you know what? I can glorify God and I can praise him and I can thank him for what he's going to do. Because if it's anything like he did here, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. It's going to benefit me, but it's not all about benefiting me. It's about glorifying him. And so he has built this church in such a way that only he can get the glory. But grumbling and arguing places our focus, as I said last week, on ourselves. Only on ourselves. Only on what's not turning out the way that we wanted it. Only on what we're not getting. Only on what's not happening in our time. Rather than on God, which we're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it takes our focus off of other people who we're called to love others as we love ourselves, to love one another, because that's how the world's going to know that we are his disciples. And so if we're grumbling and complaining and arguing because we're focused on ourselves, then our focus can't be on those that we're called to reach, those we're called to love, the one that we're called to worship. In fact, we have pity parties rather than praise parties. Bottom line, we're having a pity party rather than a praise party. D David assigned the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to celebrate the Lord God of Israel. That's what he wanted the Levites to do, to celebrate. He, 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 God's not like just wanting these stiff, you know, bored, dead. That's not what he's wanting from us. He wanted the Levites to lead the people to minister before the ark of the Lord to celebrate the Lord God of Israel. Glorifying God involves celebration. Not pity party, not whining and complaining and arguing, but celebrating, praising, glorifying Him. And so we, every Sunday when we gather together, it should be a celebration. Like we should be excited to be coming in. We should have a smile on our face like we're coming to a praise party. Like, we're like if, you, if it's your birthday party and people are going to be celebrating you and, and you're going to have cake and all your friends and family there and there's going to be food and chips and salsa because I believe you can live on chips and salsa alone. And, and when I've been losing weight, I'm counting my chips now and I can't wait till I maintain and maybe I can eat more. But ch chips and salsa, I saw a friend had a 40th birthday and he had just a table full of chips and salsa. If that's your party, you're celebrating, you're happy, you're joyful. Every Sunday, 
at New Passion Church. Every Sunday that every gospel preaching church that believes Jesus was uh, crucified, that he was buried and rose again, should be a celebration. It should be a praise party because of it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Psalms 95.2 says, let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. Let, 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 let's say that word together because I, I know growing up in church, man, there's some churches like you can't even raise your hand, they'll look at you weird. There's some churches like you can't, you can't say amen. I like it when you respond. Like you can say amen. It's okay. Thank you, Aaron. I, I mean, I, could, I might say, you know, like somebody's aunt died and Aaron will say amen. So <laughs> I appreciate Aaron. I, 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 I can't take a rabbit trail, but I tell the story when Aaron first started coming to the church, one of the, uh, he had just joined the, the worship team. So it was like the second or third week and he's amen in me through the whole message. And, and it, it, it's helpful. And then all of a sudden it got silent. And so you, you have no idea the thoughts that go through a pastor's mind while we're preaching. That's why I stumble over my words sometimes. And it goes silent. And I was like, did I start preaching heresy? Like, like did I say something wrong? And I didn't realize he had gone to get ready to come up to close out the service. And that's why it got silent. But you, you, can, you can respond. You can laugh. You can say amen. You can say hallelujah. You can be alive because we're called to celebrate. We're called to praise. We're called to be alive. We're called to shout triumphantly to him in song. Say that word together. Shout. It's okay. I, I'm giving you permission because scripture gives you permission. Triumphantly. Meaning you have triumphed. You are victorious. You're not defeated. You are victorious in Christ Jesus. So therefore you come, you know, you don't win a battle back in the medieval days and you've gone off to war and you come back in, you came back into a celebration, to a feast, to the people celebrating the victory that you had just won. You don't win the victory and come back in like, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> no, you celebrated. Yeah. It was a feast every Sunday. We should come into this place triumphant that you are victorious. Even when life's not going your way, you are victorious. A heart of thanksgiving during the week will overflow into Sunday. So you got to be triumphant during the week. you got to celebrate during the week because when you come together, it's just all of us doing the same thing that we're doing during the week. So when we come in and we're dead, when we come in and we're defeated, that's how we're living our week. Because we're only overflowing together what we're doing individually. See, we don't take it off. It's not an accessory. Our worship, our glorifying God is not an accessory. It's like our skin. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's what we're about. And so when we come in together, it's just an overflow. And when we come in together, it's even more powerful because one voice can shout, but when 300 shout, 200 shout, it's much more triumphant. It's much more celebratory. It's much more of a praise party. And so today we have every reason to worship God through our gratitude. Every Sunday we should come to church ready to offer thanks to God for who he is and what he has done. And you can add to that what he's going to do because we don't know it, but we can trust him that he is good and that he's going to work all things out, not only for his glory, because we're dedicated to his glory, but also for our benefit, for our good. It should be a loud 
and triumphant celebration. The second part of B, or the second part of eight, um, is he says to call on his name. We glorify God by calling on his name through prayer. You can write that down. We glorify God by calling on his name through prayer. Psalm 18.3 says, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. In scripture, calling on the name of the Lord is largely associated to, it's a reference to people calling out to God for salvation and deliverance. You'll see it all through scripture. I called out to the Lord and asked him to save me, asked him to deliver me. And so this calling out at the very beginning is this salvation experience, is this moment of deliverance that we need from God through Christ Jesus. And so God displays his glory to the world by saving his people. Through our salvation, when we are saved, the world sees the glory of God. Because some of you, you're, you're like um, your story is such that people look at you and go, he's going to church now? Like he's triumphantly celebrating God now? Like he, he's cleaned up his language. He's not going to the places he used to go. He's not doing the things he used to do. He, like he, he, his life has been transformed and they look at that and it declares the glory of God because that is how God is glorified by him saying, you know what? I don't care what your mom says. I don't care what your ex-spouse says. I don't care what your teacher told you. If I want to save you, I'll save you. If I want to redeem you, I'll redeem you. I'm not asking anybody's opinion. I'm not asking if I can. And so when I do save you, then you know what? I get the glory because they're going to look at Nick and go, there's no way he did that on his own. Uh -uh. There's no way. My dad can say, there's no way I saved myself on my own. He paddled me way too many times. He gave me way too many Bible verses to write and had to give me more. There, there's no way. And so how's God glorified in Nick's life? Because God saved me and God transformed me. And, and even this week, there are moments that I can look back and go, man, thank God for your redemption. Because two, three years ago, I would have responded different in this moment. I, I would have responded a totally different way. But, but by the grace of God, look where you have brought me. I haven't brought myself here, but you've brought me here. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. And so he is glorified in our salvation. In Romans 9, Paul wrote that God has shown patience towards people who are destined for wrath in order to display the riches of his glorious grace even more to those who are objects of his mercy. So even in those who are rejecting him and those who are objects of wrath, even in showing them patience, he is glorified. His grace is glorified. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Another reason to be grateful. But verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. See, God saved us in Jesus. He adopted us as children. He makes us holy, blameless, without a single fault. The Bible tells us for the praise of his glorious grace. He has chosen you. He has adopted you. 
He makes you in his sight holy, blameless, without a single fault, not for your glory, not for your fame, not for your pride, but for the glory of his glorious grace, for the praise of his glorious grace. Your salvation today is alone, uh, alone enough to glorify God. Your salvation alone is reason enough to be triumphant in your celebration, to have a praise party because he saved you and he didn't have to. Because he saved you and you were unworthy of that salvation. And so we have reason to celebrate. Our being one with Jesus gives us that access that, that we can worship him, that we can praise him, that we can freely call on his name, not only in for salvation, but through prayer, that we can have that communion with him. See, David's intention was for people to, for, uh, uh, of God, those, those people in his day that he was speaking to, to corporately and publicly call out on the name of the Lord. To call out, not in silence, but to call out publicly. We see this in the final part of verse 8 proclaim his deeds among the peoples. So he says, call out to the Lord and then proclaim his deeds among the peoples. The third thing you can write down is this, we glorify God by publicly proclaiming his good works. We glorify God by publicly proclaiming his good works. Followers of Jesus should not be silent about the good works of God. We should not be silent. It's not a personal faith. It's not a thing that we keep to ourselves. It's not something that we're ashamed of. It's not something that we hide. What's, what's the song we grew up with if you grew up in church? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let what? Satan. Satan, blow it out. And what was the other thing we're not going to do? Hide it under a bushel. Never knew what a bushel was until my, gra my grandma would do this thing, bushel in a peck, something like that, but a bushel. We're not going to hide it under a bushel. So, so we're going to protect ourselves. We're going to keep ourselves pursuing purity, pursuing righteousness. But in the same way, we're not going to hide it. We're going to be a light. We're going to be a city on a hill. We're going to declare the good works. We're going to declare the glory of God. We're going to publicly proclaim his good works to the world. The world is overwhelmed with negativity. The world is overwhelmed with pessimism. The world is overwhelmed with anxiety. The, the, the world and, it's, and it's all of its factions it is doing nothing. We were talking about that this morning. Even with our young people and the anxiety and the fear overwhelming them with negativity. It's consumed with negativity. They need to see God at work. They need to see it, but they also need to hear it. They need to hear the positive things of God. We, we proclaim God's good work by our public testimony. This is why we do the series. It's normally during this time of the year. This is my story. It's some of the most powerful sermons, other people getting up and saying, this is where I was and this is what God did in my life. This is how God saved me. This is how God's redeemed me. This is how God's changed me. This is how God's restored my marriage. This is how God's restored my home. And we hear of the good works of God. But also, that, that's the better use of our social media, that we use it as a platform for our public testimony of the goodness of God in our life, rather than the gripes and the complaints and the soapbox that we often turn it into. We, we proclaim his good works publicly. Verse 9 says, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell about all his wondrous works. We proclaim God's good work 
not just publicly, but also through song. Luke 19, 37 through 40 tells us, Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. There it is again. Joyful and loud. For all the miracles they had seen, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now, this could be a chant. This could be to a melody. We don't know, but it's praising God. It's publicly declaring his glory. It's publicly elevating him, blessing him. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. See, the disciples praised Jesus joyfully and loudly for all the miracles they had witnessed him do. That's, that, that's what spurred their worship on. That's what spurred their praise on. That's why they were loud and they were undignified. And it was so disrupting that the Pharisees told Jesus to rebuke his disciples. And not only did Jesus not rebuke them, he told them, if the disciples don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. See, it's a responsibility as my followers. It's a responsibility for my disciples to worship me, to see what I'm doing, to see my great works, to see my miracles, to see my salvation, and to praise me and to worship me. See, praising Jesus for his good works is that expectation from Jesus of his followers. God doesn't expect our praise to always be refined and reserved. It's okay. If you're a little more reserved, that's cool. But he doesn't expect it. He doesn't require it. He doesn't require it to be a certain level, a certain volume, a certain um, silence and refined and reformed and, and, and all of that that may, many of us have experienced. If that's your personality, that's cool. But we also don't condemn other people who are a little more joyful, a little more celebratory. And if we're a little more celebratory and a little more charismatic in our behavior, we don't look at the one whose personality is a little more, because inside they're maybe jumping for joy and they're raising their hands. We don't know. It's between what's going on in the heart of man and God. We don't judge that, but it's okay to be celebratory. It's okay to shout. It's okay to be loud and joyful. And so he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't expect it to be refined and reserved or silent. But he also didn't rebuke them for their volume or method of their praise either, and neither should we. He was okay that their celebration was loud and a little undignified. There's something special about music. Like it can invoke memories. It can take you back to certain experiences and moments. There's certain songs. I told Nikki this the other day. There's a certain song that comes on um, by Travis Tripp, if y'all know who he is. Great country artist. Um, if not, go look him up. And so... Um, he, but, but this song, I remember my grandma moving out of her home in Harrisburg, and we moved in um, after her, and, and, um, but we were helping her move out up to Evans, and she had saved for years and years and had bought a house in Evans, and so we're helping her clean that out. We're helping her, and, and Travis Tripp was playing probably on the radio. I don't know if it was a tape. It might have been CDs at that time. It might have just been a tape, um, but, but it's playing. And this song that's playing as, as I'm cleaning, when I hear that song, I, it's almost as if I'm right back in that room where I was cleaning. 
I mean, almost facing the same wall that I was facing. I don't know why, it's the weirdest thing, but that's what music does. It evokes memories. It it takes us back to certain places. It, It does engage our emotions, sadness, happiness, joyfulness, anger. Music connects with us in special ways, but it also serves as a prescribed means of praising God and ascribing glory to him. He tells us right here, David says to sing to him, sing praise to him. We see this in Colossians where he says to sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs. The reality though, when it comes to us being in common unity is we all have preferred styles of music. And here's the thing that I've learned growing up in church, because many leaders have tried and failed over and over and over again. You cannot please everyone when it comes to the style of music. You can try to mix things up and do things from time to time, but you are who you are, and it's impossible to please everyone. There is no specific style of music that is prescribed in the Bible. I grew up with hymns, choruses, and Southern gospel, because that's what my dad thought was biblical, Southern gospel. He loves it to this day. God bless him. When he's in his car, he can listen to it. When he's in my car, we're not. It's okay. Bluegrass. I've got some family up in the mountains of North Carolina, Tennessee, that they do bluegrass and and they worship in that way. And here's here's, here's the reality. It doesn't matter what church I've been in. It can be, I have been in churches with um, hymns, with the more traditional, with just a piano, with no instruments. One of the most beautiful things I heard in this building right here was last year when we hosted the Mennonite Missions Conference and they had no instruments. It was just their voices and they filled this room with just their voices and it was powerful. It was celebratory. So I've been in orchestra style. I've been in contemporary style and here's the reality. I was able to worship the same in every one of those churches. That was every church. Singing is not about us. Singing is not about me. We're not the subject of our songs. We're not the subject of our worship. You can write these two things down and we're getting ready to to close. I went a little long. It's all right. Um, if, if, if it's a football game, we're in overtime. You can fill these things out. Jesus is the subject of our worship. Jesus is the subject of our worship. And then right after that, you can write this down. Honor and praise of Jesus is the substance of our worship. Jesus is the subject of our worship. Honor and praise of Jesus is the substance of our worship. The subject and the substance of our songs is the only thing that matters when it comes to our worship of God. He is glorified by directing the right substance towards the right subject. Not the style, not the sound, not anything else is the substance pointing to the right subject. Because when we make it all, when we can't worship God because of the style, then what we've done is we've focused on ourselves and we've made the focus about ourselves rather than the subject or the substance that's being sung about. 
It's not about us. It's not about a style. It's not about anything else. It's, is the subject about Jesus? Is it about the Father? Is it about the Holy Spirit? Is it about the Godhead? And is the substance praise and honor and glory of him and him alone? Because that is what matters. It is not anything else when it comes to our music. That is what our worship is about. The subject of Jesus, the subject of God, and the substance of honoring and praising him. Verse 10 says, boast in his holy name. We glorify God by taking pride in him. Boast is an act of talking with excessive pride and self-satisfaction. It's an act of talking with excessive pride and self-satisfaction. Our pride and our ultimate satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. David called the people to take excessive pride in the holy name of Jesus, not in themselves, but in the holy name of Jesus. Jeremiah 9.24 tells us, but the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and know me. That, that's, that was God speaking to Jeremiah. If you're going to boast, if you're going to brag, if you're going to have excessive pride, let it not be in yourself because that will fail you. You will falter in that. You will wake up and say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing and have an argument with your husband or wife and that pride in yourself will be deflated in a moment because you know you're a sinner and you know you fall short. And so he says, don't brag and don't boast in yourself boast in the fact that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. If you want to have excessive pride, have excessive pride that you know and understand the God of the universe, that you know intimately his son, Jesus, because he has saved you and he has made you righteous in God's eyes through his finished work on the cross. If you're going to boast, boast in that, boast in him, find your satisfaction in him, not in yourself. Today, you can be the biggest failure in your own eyes and you can say, you know what, but I know God and he knows me and he has loved me. His, unfa his unfailing love, his faithful love has been poured out on me. And so therefore I'm going to boast in him because as sinners, we know we can't boast in ourselves. We can't have excessive pride in ourselves, but we can boast and we can glory and can give fame to Christ. And the final part of that verse, and then I'm going to close, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. New Passion David has given us a clear picture of what it looks like to be dedicated to the glory of God. He shows us a small picture. I mean, we could broaden this, but but just today, we've seen four different ways that we can glorify God, not just as a corporate body, but as individual followers of Jesus so that that will overflow into our corporate gathering. So let our hearts be set on seeking Jesus. And when we seek him, as we seek him, let us rejoice in every way and through every circumstance because of who he is and for what he has done and for what he's going to do. He's our boast. He is our joy. He's our satisfaction. He is our treasure and our great reward. We have every reason to be grateful because of him. This is our primary purpose as people of God. This is our primary purpose as followers of Jesus is to glorify him, to find our complete satisfaction in him. 
May that be who we are as individual followers of Jesus, but also as a church. When others come, they go, this is who New Passion is. They are dedicated to the glory of God. Let's pray.